You are now listening to Bookish. The canon continues. The podcast that's dismantling the sacred secular divide with your host, Michelle Collins. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Bookish. The canon continues. I am your host, Michelle Collins. I'm here and I'm excited to get to, to discuss a book with a good friend of mine today. And I feel like it's going to get a little bit political. It's just uh, a guess. Yeah, I, <laughs> it, Yes, it, it's going to get political. Well, I don't know how it couldn't be due to the subject matter, but. Um, and, and what time it is in the country. Well, that as well. Currently. That, it, yeah. Yeah. That as well. But just as a reminder to my listeners, um, the whole idea of our podcast here is that we're trying to bridge the sacred and secular divide book by book. In other words, as you can guess by the tagline of The Canon Continues, we are looking for inspired thoughts, um, inspired writing that leads us back to a deeper spiritual place in our walk with God. Um that's not always possible in every book we read, but I find that so many of them that we read do offer that possibility if we're open to it. Oftentimes we tend to package things in boxes and say, well, this is secular, this is sacred text, um, and never the two shall meet. And obviously that is not how we feel here <laughs> at this <Correct>. podcast. <laughs> so I'm going to introduce my very good friend, Seth Showalter. He is also, well, actually, I'm going to let him introduce himself. Uh, back of the book bio, Seth. Oh, hello. Well, hello. <laughs> hello. My, name is, <clears throat> my name is Seth Showalter, and I am one of the co-hosts of the Fade to Gray podcast. And I also run another podcast called Mental, uh, which Michelle Collins is also my co-host. So <laughs> We know each other. <laughs> we do. So we have that in common. I uh, live in the state of Missouri. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and uh, have a journey um, dealing with my faith and coming out as gay and kind of a, a lot of that um, has been actually what kind of led me into podcasting. I talk about it a lot, uh, but um, yeah, I'm a corporate clinical trainer. I'm all about training clinicians uh, to be able to provide excellent clinical service, and um, I'm also working and working out my faith with fear and trembling. So that's also something I'm going through. <laughs> fear and trembling. You know it. <laughs> oh, well, that's great. Seth and I have become really good friends. Or I think so anyway. I want to find it for him. I hope so. Yeah. Um, and we find we have quite a lot in common as far as our mental health journey, our spiritual journey, although I'm not gay, so I don't have that experience. Um, but we also share a lot of the same thoughts about politics, and I think you're probably a little more forthright in your opinions, at least publicly, than yes, I am. Yes, I yeah. would. I yes. Sometimes I like to just throw stuff out there and sure. see what see what bites, you know. <laughs> well, I'm going to let you introduce the book. Um, tell me a little bit about it, and then I have a couple of just general questions about the book itself from your perspective, and then we can get into the meat of it. Does that sound good? Sounds great. All right. Introduce it. So today I want to talk about a book written by Shane Claiborne called Jesus for President. And I don't even know what year this book was published, but I read it when I was um, an intern um, 
at a mega church. I was going to go into the ministry. And this book really opened my eyes to a lot of things that I wasn't seeing. And I think part of what Shane's desire in writing this book was, was to reignite um, <laughs> reignite politics around the Christian faith. Um, and kind of being able to look at that with a with a new with a new set of eyes, um, and so yeah. Okay. Well, it was written in two thousand eight. Just so you know, I just looked. Right. Thank you. That's the year <laughs> um, I graduated high school. So. Oh my god, I'm so old. <laughs> no, you're. Uh, no, two thousand eight. So we're talking about before we. I don't know. I guess it was still pretty political, or you know, Christianity at that point was still pretty political, but it has increased, I would think, at least twofold by then, uh, by now. Yes. Easily. Um, So it's kind of interesting because as I read through the book, I'm reading it, of course, through the eyes of what's happening currently in our political realm. Mm -hmm. Um, And it still becomes so very applicable uh, to his points, the the mixing of Christianity and politics, um, which, of course, I consider that to be nationalism, not patriotism. I don't think I'm in the minority there. I think a lot of people would classify that as nationalism. Um, but so you chose this book for a reason. What about it inspires you? So backstory, a little bit about me. Um, I grew up in Northwest Missouri in a very rural area. And so Christianity and being American were tied. Um, there was just so much patriotism in my in how I grew up, and this book really challenged this idea of distinguishing what's American and what's Christian. And when I read this book, it was as if my eyes were open. I, things I couldn't even see were being brought up, and it really impacted how I viewed my faith and how I viewed being an American. Um, and so it, I'm trying to think of words here, it really challenged my thought process. And I think it's very applicable to where we are right now in this country. No, I, I would, would 100% agree with that. Um, it, and it is a challenge to our Christianity because I think even myself being a little bit older than you, I actually was raised with those ideas of patriotism and Christianity going hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, at the, I mean, every church I went to as a child, I can remember vividly the American flag at the front of the church, right along with the Christian flag. Um, right. They were synonymous almost. And yes. yeah, and and you were taught and raised to believe. And of course, I was raised in the Midwest as well. So maybe it might be different in other parts of the country, but I think it's pretty standard that you know a belief in God is of course American. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I've had conversations with people who made that literally stated, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, not because they held any kind of actual faith in Christ, but because they said, well, I'm an American, so obviously I'm a Christian, yep. which is, is incredibly, uh, it's ignorant. It just is because our country is built up of so many different people that come from so many different spiritual backgrounds to assume that everyone is just Christian because they live here is short-sighted. So yeah, in, in this idea, our country for so long has been considered Christian. Um, it, it's always been about bringing this country back for God and that you know by supporting Israel, we are chosen. And 
there's all of these internal messaging um, in the Christian faith around what it is to be an American. And I think that it's very short-sighted. We're a melting pot. Why do we consider ourselves a Christian nation when we're all about freedom of religion and every religion is accepted here? Well, and that's, that's actually my point as well, is the fact that we have a tendency to isolate one specific stream and call it, mm-hmm. because it may be the majority at any given time, and say, well, this is the identity of all. Right. And, and that's unfortunate. And, and here's why, and I think you and I have had this conversation before, it sets a precedent, especially if we're, if we're moving into legalizing certain belief systems. Mm-hmm. When we do that, we set a precedent in the courts, which is how our laws are determined to be constitutional and not is based on precedent. And what happens if Christianity is no longer the mainstream or the main you know, majority religion in the country? What if it becomes Hinduism? What if it becomes Islam? You know, you've now set precedent that says anybody can come in with their sacred text and set laws according to that um, because you felt comfortable doing so when you were the majority. But if you're no longer the majority, doing that has now set you up to be at the whim of other people's religion. Mm-hmm. And I can guarantee you that most Christians would have a big fat problem with that. Oh my gosh. It would be the end <laughs> of the world. It would. <laughs> I mean, so it's it, again, short sighted. I mean, but you know what? I will tell you this. If that were to happen, I can count on Pat Robertson blaming it on the homosexuals. <laughs> that I could that I will place money on if again the man is still alive at that time. But I you know, we've got to blame somebody. And uh it'll be the homosexuals are destroying America and now Christianity is no longer the, you know, the the number one religion. It's Hinduism and how how dare how dare the homosexuals. <laughs> well, I have to laugh there because the other night I literally read something that mm-hmm. Pat Robertson wrote to my uh-huh. husband and I laughed. I said, it's either always the homosexuals' fault or it's the women's fault. Yep. It literally I and again, most of our listeners, well, I don't know. We've we've gone down this road before. Not you and I, but the podcast has gone down this road before. Um his comment was in reference to oral sex. <laughs> <laughs> I, oral sex wasn't around during his time and that w- the women what? were causing all kinds of problems. Well, what? <laughs> he, Pat said that? Apparently. I don't know. I just, he makes me laugh now. He used to make me angry and now I just have to laugh because it's just the ramblings of, of a crazy person in my opinion. <laughs> it is. However, I will admit I used to watch his show when I was in high school and they did those prayer oh, things sure. at oh, the yeah. end where he yes. would do this idea like, I, there is someone listening right now who feels rejected who's struggling you know and there was this whole idea I was like god are you speaking through pat are you co-? like i was always waiting you know with this idea that that god would god would work through him um <laughs> yeah i used to watch that too yeah i watched that as well and yes it comes across as um you know i think in christianity we like to call it prophecy Mm -hmm. or words of knowledge, of course, but often it just comes off as horoscopes to me. (laughs) Very generalized, and the person that's listening to it reads into the situation. Mm -hmm. So anyway, but um, if we go back to the book here, I wanted to read a statement that he wrote right at the very beginning. First of all, let me just tell you, this book is beautiful. (laughs) Yes, it is. Actually, I mean that not in what he wrote. Of course, that's got a lot of value as well, but just the how the book looks. It's amazing. He's done a a really neat way of putting this book together. And uh, I, 
to me, it made it fun to read. I don't know. <laughs> the <laughs> illustrations me. alone. Yes. I think make that book worth purchasing. Oh, for sure. It's just, it, it, there's a lot of entertaining value to it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Agreed. But the, but the statement that he wrote is right in the very beginning. It says, the powerful benefits and temptations of running the world's largest superpower have bent the church's identity. Mm-hmm. And that one, of course, will set many people on edge. Um, as, as we've already stated, a lot of people find their, their patriotic identity, you know, very much involved with their Christian identity. And so to say that the church's identity should not be involved in politics is almost heresy. Correct. I mean, that's a strong word, but that's almost how it's treated. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I, Jesus was deeply political. Everything that he did was was political, and I I don't know really understand how you can be how you can take that message of Christ and not be political, um, to some extent, because I think the two are so tied together. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, and he goes on a little bit later to say, um, patriotic pastors insist that America is a Christian nation without questioning the places in distant and recent history where America has not looked like Christ. And I don't know how we can get around saying that that is not a a glaring, obvious problem currently. Mm -hmm. We have so much of what calls itself Christianity happening in our, in our country right now. And none of it looks or sounds like Jesus. Um, no. And, and you and I have had these conversations before, especially surrounding the subject of deconstruction. Um, if, if you're going to deconstruct your religion, you also have to get into specific tenets of that religion, but you also have to get into the ideas of that religion. And of course, the linchpin of Christianity is Jesus, which has to be deconstructed as well. Because for many, Jesus is a violent character and there is violence that is to come in the, in the future. And so they have to set this up where, whereas if you look at the life of Christ and his teachings about loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you, I don't know how we square that with what we see going on in our country right now that calls itself Christianity. I don't know either. <laughs> it's, it's a mystery. Yeah. I, and, and again, as soon as you begin to ask those question, questions, people become very defensive. Yes. And because now we're stepping we're stepping into some dangerous ground. We're stepping not only on their their patriotism, but we're stepping on their belief in Christ. And for many of them, their belief in Christ is simply a product of what they've been taught, not necessarily what they have studied or learned. Um, because it was for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how I mean I grew up believing certain things because that's what I was taught, not because I went and found them out for myself. That wasn't until I was much older. So it's it's an interesting little conundrum to to try and point this out to anybody and get anywhere with it. It's like banging your head against a stone wall more than anything. I don't know. Has that been your experience or is that just me? (laughs) Very, very much so. Um, And I, I'm still like so confused around it Uh, specifically right now in our political environment. I, I don't understand how Christians are able to support our current, uh, presidency. I, I really, I really don't. 
Um, Shane yeah. talks a lot about in in this book. He talks a lot about how God seems to have a knack um, hearing the cry of oppressed people. Right. And that's the opposite of what's happening in our society right now. Yeah, the, and I would the oppressed people are being put down by our God. Like they are being put down. They are being silenced. And I it's it's the it's the opposite message of what Christ was all about and yet we want to it's almost as if America is becoming like Constantine and mm-hmm. we're just wanting to throw on a you know a Jesus badge on our weapons i think there's a there's a book even not there's a book there's an illustration in Shane's book um with uh, a man carrying a cross and there's a soldier sitting on the cross with a bazooka. And I think Yeah, it, I remember that one. It it was terribly upsetting to see. Yes. But it's <laughs> so provocative. Um and I think it speaks to a really to a really important concept in all of this is that I think American Christians have lost their way completely. I, I would say at least a good number of them. Um yeah. one of the things that he talks about in the book and it's jumping forward a little bit, but he he talks about the idea of the prophets, and mm-hmm. of course, going back into Israel, you know, uh, Jewish history that we see in the Bible, um, the prophets always kind of were on the outside of society. They were on the outside of empire. Um, they were pretty much often the enemy of the ruling authorities of the day because they were calling out the stuff that they saw that did not reflect God's heart. And it feels to me as though we've still lost our way, even in the prophetic, those people that would claim to be the prophets of now. And there are a lot of them, by the way, um, are doing nothing but singing the praises of government and empire. And I, I get so confused by that. I'm like, I think that you are missing the spirit of what the prophetic is supposed to be. The prophetic speaks for God, not yes. for the ruling authorities. And it's kind of funny. He has, I wrote down, or I, I highlighted one of the things he wrote in the book about the prophets. He said, the prophets are weird. They set themselves apart from the normalcy of civilization and its pattern of destruction and war. Their vocation is to interrupt the status quo. They are set apart as a sign for all of Israel that they too are to be unlike the nations. That sounds nothing mm. like what we're seeing right now. We're no. seeing nothing but the but people standing up and claiming superiority and fitting into the ideas of government run uh, religion, if you will, because that's what they're pushing. That's what they're looking for. Or it seems that way to me anyway. Um, But I I don't know. Were you raised with the prophetic? I mean, not everybody is. No, Um, I was raised (laughs) Southern Baptist. We did not believe in that. (laughs) Oh boy. Um, My God. Goodness, if you start speaking in tongues, that's, that's <laughs> demon worship. Oh my gosh, that's how I was raised. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't. That's a bunch of, you know, spiritual <laughs> nonsense. We don't. We oh, don't so, so in that mindset, and again, I don't know much about Southern Baptist uh, mindset, but so basically what they're saying is the canon's closed. There is no more prophecy. There is no more healing. There's no, none of that stuff is applicable for now. Correct. Is, is that okay? <laughs> yes. Just clarifying, because again, that's not my background. Yeah. So, um, we gotta we we can't when, when you get into that stuff. You know, I was raised that our God is a God of order, 
yes. not chaos. Right. And a lot of that spiritual stuff you're talking about can get very chaotic <laughs> and well, very confusing for people. Right. It get very chaotic and very confusing, uh, especially if you're not like a believer and like you know what's happening. And so right. that's not really where God's going to work. God is going to work in order and being able to understand everything. And, and th- that spiritual stuff just gets too far out there. That's, you know, that's not that's not for us. <laughs> Oh, it's so funny because I did feel that when I was growing up. I knew we were kind of on the outside of, you know, the function of most Christianity um, Mm -hmm. because we did believe in raising our hands and speaking in tongues and dancing in church and, you know, electric guitars and drums, which are now very commonplace in most churches, but the electric drum or the electric guitar and the drums anyway, (laughs) not the rest of it. Um, But it is. So let's go back to some of the stuff. I know there was a, you had some stuff that you wanted to bring up about the book. So I'm going to let you do that because I've, I've shared a couple of mine. So you share some of yours now. Oh my. Well, I have four pages <laughs> oh of boy. written out notes here. Good, good. So um, first of all, I just, a couple quotes here that I, I, I found were, were pretty parable. Par- um, a couple quotes that I found very powerful. Um, okay. The great paradox and humor of God's audacious power. A stuttering prophet will be the voice of God. A barren old lady will become the mother of a nation. Yes. A shepherd boy will become their king. And a homeless boy will lead them home. Yeah. And again, you're, you're bringing up, you're bringing up groups that now seem very marginalized and oppressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and yes. we, forget, <laughs> we forget that the divine Ooh. can come from those things or from those or, places most often comes from those places for sure yeah at, know, at least in the uh, tradition of christianity anyway because it, it, there were always the humble beginnings i mean that's mm-hmm. the stories we're told i mean christ yeah. himself came from humble beginnings being born in a manger so you know we forget that it is those that are outcast that often can add the most to us spiritually yes um and instead we've traded that for the powerful and the mighty um, who need no help, by the way. <laughs> no, no, they're they're fine. Yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> they've got it all worked out. <laughs> our our uh, our straight white men of America are doing great right now. <laughs> they are on top of the they're on top of the world, yeah. um, and and we're they're often who we we view as righteous when in fact Jesus so often was working in the margins, and right. I I think that that is. Really, if there's a message in Shane's book, uh, that rings out loud and clear for me. Mm-hmm. That, and that's what when I talk about he opened my eyes, it opened my eyes somewhat to even my own privilege in how I relate to the faith, because I wasn't raised to think about that. Um, I wasn't raised to think about um, the margins because we were we were in the majority, you know. And it was all about we're going to defend Christ rather than Christ defending us, and and that's a whole other concept. But uh, all right, there's a lot in there that I think um, is a lot to unpack. He talks a lot about the United States in this book. I mean, well, he, right. he shared that the U.S. is arming over seventy five percent of the world, right. while it tells folks to disarm. Mm-hmm. Which is like handing out guns to kids in our neighborhood and telling them not to shoot each other. Yeah, it's it's actually 
it's astounding when you realize how m- much of our hand is busy in the rest of the world mm-hmm. controlling um, not only this kind of thing, like the weapons, but dealing within the governments of other countries. Mm-hmm. And I mean, all throughout our history, you know, things become declassified and, and we're allowed mm-hmm. to find things out later on. We find out how much we've been involved in a lot of things that have been really ugly in the world. Um, and yet we still hold ourselves up as the city on the hill, um, yes. you know, the, the salt of the earth. We, we are supposed to be the example. And yet, at least currently anyway, it doesn't feel as though we're an example. I feel like we're as big of a perpetrator as anybody else in the, in the world right now. I mean, we may not do certain things, but we do, we do some pretty awful things <laughs> that other yeah. countries just don't or can't because of resources. But it's interesting to me that we justify it when it's us, but we demonize it when it is other countries, um, especially if we have an agenda associated with those countries. Yes. Well, and we're so involved in, I mean, even if we're not inhabiting another country, economic. Um, yes. Shane brings that up a lot. Um, right. Just, you know, when you get, when you start your tea in the morning, or if you're drinking tea now, or you're drinking coffee, where, where was that made? Where did it come from? The right. shirt that you're wearing on your back, where did that come from? We live in a global society and economy now, and it, you know, Shane really pushes on that to the fact of can you really call yourself a Christian if you don't care about where all of these things are coming from? Well, right. And, and, and it's the a valid lives, point. And the lives and the hands that are involved in each piece of that, because everything we have now in this society has gone through so many different hands, so many different countries, even just to get to us. Well, of course. I mean, we again, uh, we hold ourselves up as some kind of example. Um, you know, let's talk about child labor laws and things like that. We we ha- oh well, we don't put our children to work, but yet we support consumerism that brings in products from countries that do, and we Correct. see no problem with that. Mm-hmm. And so that's the kind of mismatch that we're talking about here when it comes to your ethics. And again, I don't know how realistic it is to say I won't have anything to do with anything that goes against my ethics because it is so interrelated, you know, globally. How how do we separate ourselves completely? But to knowingly, you know, or to give it no thought and just go on with your life as though you're not involved somehow is to me the height of of privilege. We mm-hmm. we actually are saying, well, I care about that, but I only care about it this much as to the point where it, it begins to inconvenience me, I no longer care. Mm-hmm. And it feels that way with so much of what we're talking about in our society currently, that well, it's all about our privilege. It's all about what we want. And the message of Christianity is always the other, self-service, correct. self-sacrifice. So I guess and, that's where I get a little confused. <laughs> one, and Shane brings this up in, in that the danger is that we can begin to read the Bible through the eyes of America rather than read America through the eyes of the Bible. Exactly. We want Jesus to be a good, we want Jesus to be a good American. And (laughs) I think that speaks to what you're sharing is in that we, it's so hard to even really take those things into account just given our cultural narrative. Right. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, just recently there was, um, and it's it's not just been discussed recently. I've seen it over and over over a period of years. Um, but the idea of white Jesus. Um, oh yes. 
I've actually discussed a book on this podcast about white Jesus that we have so made Jesus white that we have forgotten where he came from, the culture that he lived in and the time you know, that he lived in. And we have made him about our society and our culture um, to the point that we have negated so much of what he stood for and so much of what he understood about life from his perspective. Yeah. And it, if we are to take Christ's message and make it our own, being born again should radically dissolve our affections for national borders. Oh, right? yeah, I would like, agree if, with that. That's going to piss a lot of people off. I guarantee it. <laughs> well, it should because because it which comes first, our right. love of humanity or our love of our of our own nation and nationalism. Well, um, and again, that's part of the conversation lately that is really upsetting a lot of people. Though, as yep. soon as you suggest that kind of conversation, you immediately step on people's toes, and there is an there's a triggered response mm-hmm. towards indignation that yep. says, "How dare you tell me what my Christianity looks like?" Well, our Christianity is supposed to look like Christ, so it it, it is painfully difficult to see how some people are identifying with Christ. And and I don't take myself out of that equation. Look, on any given day, I don't look or sound like Christ, guaranteed. And you know that. You've heard some of my rants. So I don't look or sound like Christ. You've but, heard mine. <laughs> well, that's what I, So the point in talking about this is not to differentiate ourselves and say I'm somehow better. The point is to say we're all guilty. Yes. Every one of us, we're guilty of this, of putting ourselves above others, of putting our country against, uh, you know, of, uh, putting our country above other countries and somehow losing Christ in the conversation. Yeah. It's disappointing when I stop and recall some of my actions and my thoughts and I have to really shake myself and say, you need to get your head together and decide what Jesus would do. Let's go back to WWJD because there's merit to that. It got, you know, it got popularized and everything, but there's merit to that. What would Jesus do in this situation? What would he say? How would he think? So is it WWJD or WWWJD? Is it what would Jesus do or what would white Jesus do? Well, yeah, valid point. And for for most of us, I'm going to say it would be what would white Jesus do? Mm-hmm. Because that's what we're familiar with. Yeah. And I, I guarantee you there's going to be people that listen to this that are chafing big time at those comments. Because again, it challenges us on a personal level. We can't differentiate ourselves from that. We can't set ourselves aside and say, well, that matters for everybody else, but no, I'm good. It's just not true. So it's, it's a very polarizing conversation. Our allegiance should not be to a flag, a country, or a man. Our allegiance should not be to democracy or blood, but to a king and a kingdom. And I think we miss that so much. And I think we're bringing all of that up. Yeah, we do miss it. I mean, even Jesus always pointed back to God. Always. His his focus always was not me, but my father. Mm -hmm. Right? And so that should always be our example. It's not about us. It's about something greater than us. You know, and and I think I even made this comment to you not too long ago uh, when we were having a discussion. We should not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. That's scripture. And yet we do it constantly. We put ourselves and our needs above everyone else and the needs of others. And yet we feel 
good when we get dressed up and go to church and sing a few songs. We've done our due for the week. Never mind the people we walked past, the people we stepped on, either ideologically or even physically, throughout the week. And and I think he brings, this is a point he's trying to make, like, your Christianity should look like Christ, and instead it's looking like your country. Yeah. So so what do you think, and he brings this, I mean, I can, I wrote a bunch of quotes down here, but he, mm-hmm. he really kind of pushes the church and challenges the church. Um, sharing that one of the most powerful things that the contemporary church could do right now is confess their sins to the world. Humbly yeah. get on their knees and repeat, repent of the terrible things that the church has done in the name of God. And if right. we were able to do that, if the church were actually to take that step, perhaps the world would be willing to listen to a church on its knees, a church that doesn't pretend to be perfect and have all the answers. But right. when I look around... <laughs> Uh, the church today, I'm not seeing that as an option. And I don't think that that's going to happen. No, I, I feel, and again, my opinion entirely here, but I feel like the church is centered around superiority at the moment and has been for quite some time. Um, that's been my experience of it for a long time. I have often said um, in discussions regarding you know military spending and things like that, if we took even a small portion of the money that we spend on weapons and warfare and instead supported other countries um, through food or aid or all of these other things, we would have far less enemies in the world. Um, And and I know that's not going to work in every case, but in general, if people are beholden to you for your kindness, they are less inclined to go to war with you in any shape or form. And I mean, work looks different now than it has in the past, but they're less inclined to do that because they feel a connection or they're being cared for. And if we are truly to be a Christian nation, shouldn't we be caring for the people of the world? I mean, we talk about, we talk a good game. But see, this is where I think we went wrong. I think that the church has focused so much on knowing the right things rather than being the type of right people. I think we've focused right. on our doctrines and what we believe and this need it to be right rather right. than to show grace and show love. And I, I don't know why that's occurred and why that's where we where the church has kind of you know laid down its stake that it, you know it's all about right belief rather than right living. Mm-hmm. But that's the contrast. And I wish that there was a way that we could flip that. Yeah. Well, and and again, that's conversations I've had over the years um, because we all do ebb and flow. There was a period of my life in which my knowledge level of Christianity, as I said earlier, was built upon tradition and what I'd been taught, not any study on my part. And so Mm -hmm. I changed that. It became very theology related to me. I needed to understand but if that's all I ever do and I don't experientially walk out what I've learned, I miss the mark. And all of that education is for nothing. Um, right. So there has to be a balance of the two, I think. We have to study to understand and show us. Well, the word says we have to study to show ourselves approved. But we also have to study to understand the heart of God before we can ever walk out the heart of God with the people around us. And we should be doing both. And unfortunately, I don't see that. I I came across a video the other day. It was kind of shocking. 
Um, and I have to laugh at the absurdity of it, not because it's funny, but just because it is that absurd. Um, two people apparently were standing on a street corner and they were protesting something. I don't know. I, it didn't show their signs. Um, but a gentleman got out of his truck and approached them and told them they needed to leave. He was very profane um, and told them that they, I mean, all kinds of ugliness came out of him. And the woman very calmly was saying, why is this so upsetting to you? And he goes, because you don't belong here. Whoa. And he walked away. And as he's walking away, the woman said to him, God bless you. Jesus loves you. And the man turned around and said back to her, yeah, right. He loves me, but you're going to hell. And I thought, dude, so you can stand there and proclaim that you understand the love of Christ and consign someone to hell through all of this verbal abuse. And that doesn't strike you as somewhat hypocritical. I don't think that they care anymore. I mean, I, I'm hoping that it's just ignorance. Uh, I would hate to think that people have grown that cold, but many have. I mean, I think that people have blinders on right now, and that's the furthest thing from their mind. I think it's this need of being, I don't, I don't even know. It's racism. I, like, I, I don't know. Well, that's a part of it for sure. Um, again, and I don't know, I could only see the man. I couldn't see who he was talking to. So I have no idea, you know, what, right. if there was racism involved or anything like that, but certainly his, the, his heart in the conversation was bent around anger and mistrust. And then it, to me, that came across as, as hatred. And if somebody is saying, yes, I know God loves me. And they're associating themselves with that mindset to say that he hates someone else or that they hate someone else is completely anti-Christ. Yes. I don't know how else to say it. It just is. I mean, it. yes, it is anti-Christ. It's the opposite of what Christ called us to, us to be about. It's we're all supposed to be turning the other cheek, showing right. love, walking right. three miles instead of two. Like it's all about showing compassion to others. And I think that in our current political climate, it has become so divisive that we've lost that ability, or I'm not saying everyone has, but I think <laughs> a lot of people um, have lost the ability to reach across the aisle because they're trying to protect something. I don't know what they're trying to protect, but <laughs> their need to protect it is is more powerful or stronger than their need to show love, which is what Christ was all about. Well, yeah, we've become very much a, a self-centered people. And and again, I, I do believe that's probably human nature, that that's something you have to actively work to change. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just something that's going to come very natural to each one of us, um, which is, again, why Christianity is supposed to stand out as different, it, because it is different. It is different from the norm or, or, or the natural reaction. It is about changing your heart and your mind to something that's completely radical to people that have no association with it. And it, it was in Jesus's day. It is still today. The problem is that we have normalized Christianity to look like our behavior and said it's still valid. And that's problematic because again, it, it ceases to look like Christ. And I don't know that we can say that there's any other focus for Christianity than to look like Christ. I, I just don't know that you can come up with something else. Um, you know, I mean, putting aside the ideas of, well, I have to proselytize or I have to, you know, make sure people aren't going to hell. I mean, we're not even doing that. 
we, we are very fixated on the idea of getting our own way. And if somebody goes to hell because they don't agree with us, oh, well, they're going to hell. So that's how it feels. It correct. So in the starting point then must be that the church becomes a place where we can grapple with difficult questions around grace and humility and love. But how do we get the church there? I don't know. I mean, you're talking to somebody that's pretty much given up on church. <laughs> well, you know, I have well, at to. least in the formal, yeah, in the formal setting, um, I, because to me, the church is not a building; it is the people. Unfortunately, we're faltering there as well. Um, and again, a lack of knowledge. I mean, again, the scriptures say, "My people perish for a lack of knowledge." Mm-hmm. So it, it comes down to that we have ceased to educate ourselves on what Jesus looks like. Instead, we have created an image in our, you know, created him in our own image and fail to realize that we've created an idol of ourselves and have set ourselves up as the authority. Uh, and we just call it God. I mean, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of pulpits on a Sunday morning. And I find it ironic that we're having this conversation on a Sunday morning. Um, because I think a lot of churches, this is the conversation that's happening. It's about politics. It's about needing to hold our ground and to, to ensure that the church remains strong and that the government is reflected on, you know, reflected by that thought. And, and I'm, again, I feel like I have to apologize constantly and say, okay, not everybody, you know, I don't know. Do you feel like you ever, (laughs) like you're tiptoeing through the tulips here so much? Yeah. At at times. Yeah. I just... Christians are supposed to be the spitting image of Jesus to the world. Right. And we're not. Right. Well, you know, and Sean, Sean makes that, or Shane makes that point here. Um, another one that stood out to me, he, he said, um, hope in God is an essential part of Jesus's pol- politics on ridding the world of evil. As the parable of the weed and weeds and the wheat illustrates, Jesus understood the destruction of evil to be not in human hands, but in God's hands. And I feel like we have taken that task on ourselves. It's our job to eradicate evil yes. from, a, from a Christian perspective. Well, it it's is. our job to identify evil, label it, and get rid of it instead of seeking to love and, and hold close to somebody that we may not agree with. So going right along with that, Shane also writes that the more walls and gates and fences we have, the closer we are to hell. Um, mm. What I mean by that, like you're talking about, you know, defending and, and taking this idea of us ridding out evil. Um, it's not just ridding out evil, but I think America is trying to protect itself from evil. And in so doing, we're putting up all of these walls, these gates, these fences, and we're actually pushing people further and further away. Um, We are like the rich man. Um, Mm. We find ourselves locked into our gated homes and far from the tears of Lazarus outside, far Mm. from the tears of God Um, going along with that. Yeah, it's ironic um, that there's so much, it seems to be that there's so much fear involved in Christianity. That we, you know, I, I mean, I've heard this. I've never counted, so I don't know for sure. But I've heard somebody, I've heard people say, it says over 365 times in the Bible to fear not. So there's one for each day. And yet these are the same people that are constantly in fear of the other, constantly in fear of the future. You know, I mean, they they live their lives in fear. I mean, right now, of course, we are 
still smack dab in the middle of a global pandemic, um, which of course has been politicized as well. Oh, and listen, you know, and it's and it's Michelle, all about fear. Michelle, <laughs> listen, it's not a big deal. We're opening all of our schools back up. Oh my and goodness! Listen, the reason our numbers are so high is because of our testing. <laughs> if we just tested less, the numbers would not be as high. So we've oh, cut federal funding. Everything's going to be all right. Just walk, yeah. we'll walk this out. I'm Please honestly, my sarcasm, I am, I fully understand your sarcasm. I, I am honestly incredibly glad that my children are grown and that I have no grandchildren yet that are, I don't have any grandchildren yet, period. But if they did, I would be glad if they were not school age at this point. Yeah. Um, just simply because I do think it's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm amazed at the number of people I've known for years I'm literally years from a, from a Christian perspective who have made it very publicly known that they think all of this is a hoax. Yeah. And, and that just blows me away. I mean, how do we write off hundreds of thousands of deaths and say, well, that's just life. The witch hunt. I, it, that's so cold. <laughs> the witch hunt. It's the Democrats. <laughs> yeah. Again, it gets very, it gets very polarized. Um, you know, that's interesting because, and it, I love how people automatically make an assumption of what my politics are because of the things that I say about Jesus and they don't know because <laughs> I don't say it's nobody's business, but my own. Um, but I tend to be somewhat, I, I do vote, but I'm not, I'm, I'm pretty apolitical. I'm, I'm more about what looks like Christ. And what's good for people? That's where you'll find me get angry is is when people are being mistreated or things like that. And I think Shane brings that out a lot in the book. He he talks about those marginalized or oppressed people um, that are you know are set aside almost by the Christian community as unimportant. Um, and and I I have vivid memories of being in church and having people come to our building you know that were possibly homeless, certainly were jobless. And asking for aid or for help, and them being told, "I'm sorry, you're not a part of our church. We don't do that here." What? And it used to infuriate me because I would give to benevolence. I would give to you know that benevolent fund in our church in in hopes that that was going to go to people that needed it. And I do understand taking care of the of the members of your own church. I do get that, but at the same time, there has to be a portion of that that is taking care of the community or you have just separated yourself from the community and set up your own little cult basically, um, which is upsetting. And, and that happened more than once. And it was a big sticking point for me. And, and actually the lack of care for people outside of the building became what made me leave the building. Um, it was, it was about, it was about taking care of our own. It was about making sure people made it into the building to hear the pastor preach right, it's all about and, it's all about the church it's all about their yes, success the building and it's like we're not going to help you unless you're unless you're part of us it, right. it gets to this whole us versus them mentality yes which i think is so dangerous and is so harmful um not just on a religious perspective but also political relational anything yes. any way that any way that we interact in the world this if it's all about us versus them we're creating and we're creating lines in the sand right and we're saying some people are in and some people aren't and that is the exact opposite 
yes. of the Bible <laughs> and what God is all about. And to see churches engage in that is devastating. Yeah. It is. I, I mean, you know, I saw this written somewhere. I think it was in a blog somebody had written. It's been a long time ago, so I can't give credit where credit is due, but I loved it. Their point was when you draw a line in the sand, Jesus is always on the other side. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be true from both perspectives. And yet we have this tendency, as you're saying, to be very dualistic in our mindset, to be, you know, the us, them mentality. And we're all guilty of that as well. We all have separated ourselves and and said well at least i don't do that um you know and and again that's one of my contentions with people that are very outspoken against homosexuality mm-hmm. um and they use romans to to justify that uh it always makes me kind of laugh ironically and say so you picked the one thing in that list that probably doesn't pertain to you to demonize because the rest hey, of that list be, <laughs> be careful michelle be very you are walking on dangerous ground well that's how i live my life seth so mm. <laughs> at least in the last seven years i just quit giving a shit what anybody else thinks <laughs> um but but it does amaze me because we are willing to demonize that which is not a part of our ex, you know expectation or reality even if it is you know a part of a bigger list. That list in Romans is pretty specific to a lot of different behaviors, but yet we pick the one thing that we can pick on and say, well, that's not me, so I'm better then. But we do that in everything. We set up these false narratives that say, well, that group of people is guilty of that, so I'm not associated with it. But we all are guilty of these things. And I'm not I'm not being very specific there, I know, but um you know, I wrote about this and I think I shared it not too long ago. I wrote about it several years ago, but I shared it again recently. The idea of taking communion becomes very rote and routine for many people. It's just something we do. And yet in that process, in that practice, we are supposed to be reflecting and realizing that each and every one of us would have been guilty of standing against Christ in that day. As much as we would like to distance ourselves from that idea, we would. We would have, because it's just human nature. My medic theory explains away a lot of that. Um, But we would have been involved in chastising or standing against Christ. But yet then forgiveness comes in the blood after that. And it's incredibly moving when we can find ourselves in the middle of that experience rather than separating ourselves from it and observing it. But to put ourselves in the middle of it makes us feel what other people are feeling and reminds us that we are no different and yes. that we all have to work at this together because otherwise it's chaos which is what we have <laughs> yes so what we need i think it for the church or for christ i mean i don't even want to say the church for christ followers people that believe in christ i think that our message right now is to, to to revert to Christ's first call, uh, which is to form a new kind of people, a different kind of party whose politics are embedded in who we are. Um, I think that we need to embrace this invitation of not maybe changing our belief systems, but opening our eyes to the actual things happening in front of us. Right. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, we have several traditions out there um, that are apolitical. Um, the Anabaptists come to mind as being nonviolent. 
Um, yes. You know, the Amish are apolitical. Uh, we have, we do have cultures and groups that don't see a value of being involved in that. And, and we have, you know, several people that uh, I can think of books right off the top of my head right now of people that have, or people have written with regard to separating ourselves from the political process altogether. And I don't oh. get that from Shane. I mean, Shane seems no. pretty plugged into the idea of we should have a voice in politics, but well, he's saying we should have a voice specifically towards looking like Christ in that process. I mean, I, I agree with you, except until the end of the book. <laughs> okay. Um, towards the end of the book, he said, some of us began to think that if God had wanted us to vote, God would have given us some better options to choose from. Wink. <laughs> Understand, this book was written in 2008. Right. Yeah, very different. But not. Uh, but not. It, it, like I said, it's become much more glaringly obvious, I think, now. Yeah. yeah. And I, I want to read, actually, a little paragraph from him on this mm-hmm. um, in regards on how we are to engage politically as Christ followers. Um, he shared that there are endless ways to engage politically. We just need imagination and courage. We need to insist on not settling for anything short of the politics of the cross and the kingdom of our God. When our options seem to limit us to choosing the lesser of two evils or the evil of two lessers, then we must not put our faith in anything short of God, or we will be sadly disappointed by even the best things this fallen world has to offer, especially in a world of contradictions like holy wars and smart bombs. Hmm. Sometimes, Voting may be little more than attempting to lessen the impact of the empire. Less of a vote for something and more of a vote against something we Mm -hmm. know to be out of line with God's dream. And perhaps for others, rocking the vote may mean going to the booths or writing in our candidate because he doesn't seem to be on the ballot. Hmm. Yeah. Of course, that brings up a whole other subject, another conversation with regard to third-party voting and all of those kind of things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that the one thing that I'm trying to remember in this whole process, and I do a dismally poor job of it often, is to not demonize others for where they are in their process, which is incredibly difficult when their process still appears to be very hateful or angry or you know unloving at, you know, at best. Um, but I'm trying to remember that we are all in a different place and God is not incapable of reaching every one of us. Right. Um, and Shane included a Bible verse here and, and it, it struck me, it made me stop and think for a while. It says, for it is commendable if you bear up under the pain of unjust suffering because you are conscious of God. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And I vacillate on that verse because, by the way, that was First Peter 2, um, 19 and 23. Um, I vacillate on that because it is so easy to want to defend ourselves and our viewpoints, and especially if they are the oppressed viewpoints. Mm-hmm. And yet, God is telling us, I, it's mine you know, to take care of. 
and, and so I vacillate there because I want to trust God in those circumstances, but yet my personality and my belief is also to stand in front of those that are having arrows hurled at them. And but yet I find that in doing that, it still feels as though it's following Christ because again, maybe I'm just justifying. But it feels self-sacrificial to step in front of somebody else and say, you don't get to hurt them. I'm going to stand in front of them. I mean, I think that we're called to that too. I think it's both. I don't think it's yeah. one or the other. I, I, it's a difficult it, conversation. It is a difficult conversation. But for, for I think that we are supposed to. I mean, right. we're supposed to look out for the people who are hurting. We're supposed to be reaching out. We, Go back over that verse saying that this is God's responsibility and not ours. Break that down a little bit. Okay. In what way? What do you mean? So you're saying that 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 verse, what was the verse? It's 1 Peter 2.19. For it is commendable if you bear up under the pain of unjust suffering because you are conscious of God. Um, when And then verse 23. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Okay. So the so, the, the issue no, is not that he's standing in the middle and that he's defending. The issue is the throwing of the threats and the defensiveness that we may right. easily right. get into. So right. the, the call there is not saying don't stand and you know protect those who are being hurled with swords or arrows. Um, very well, we should do that. But we should do it with humility and we should do it not with vengeance, you know? Right, right. Well, and I think there's been examples of that given um, or advice given if you come across somebody who is being uh, chastised, you know, or oppressed, that you're not to confront the people that are doing so, but you're to turn to that person and speak to them and support them um, mm-hmm. because it helps de-escalate the situation, but it also lets them know that they're not alone. And, and so that kind of feels like that to me, like it's okay to help protect somebody else, but it's in how you protect them that it's important Uh, because if you're going to escalate the situation, then you're not really protecting them. You're just making a worse situation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, that's kind of off the subject, but, um, this was a great book. Yeah. I, I mean, there's so much, I mean, there's so much here. We didn't even come close. Not even, just, we didn't even no. scratch the surface. No, we there's, can talk about this for a long time. I mean, honestly, I think that book, the way, especially given the illustrations and the way that it was right. written, every yeah. single page in that book could be a discussion. Oh, for uh, sure. Or a podcast. I mean, Something. there is so much in yeah. this book that to really unpack. And I would very much encourage anyone um, who finds themselves feeling strange in this political climate right now <laughs> while exactly. putting, while considering themselves a Christian, this is a book I want to encourage you to pick up because right. I think it's going, it's, it's going to cause you to think. Yeah. And it'll challenge you. Mm-hmm. It, it will absolutely challenge those ideas that you've maybe held, you know, personally for a long time. Um, and the growth in that comes from considering that which challenges you and deciding if it has merit. If it doesn't, cool. But oftentimes it does, and we're just afraid to allow it to convince us. Um, I think he does a fabulous job of bringing up a lot of very serious things that we should consider as it pertains to not only our Christian belief, but our, where we fit into society and in our, in our political ideology as well. 
So, but I'm glad you suggested it. I again, I just thought the book was so amazing to look at, but it, yeah, so much value here in in trying to understand better from another perspective. Yeah. So thank you so much for suggesting it. I appreciated it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for allowing me to come on to talk about it because oh, for sure. I could talk about this all day. So I appreciate it. Yeah, well, it. I could too. You know that. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. So that's gonna be it for today, bookish listeners. Thank you so much for joining Seth and I. Um, if you're interested in more conversation with Seth and I, you can check out the other podcast, Mental, on the Fade to Gray Network. Um, for today, we have talked about Jesus for President, and you should pick up the book. Agreed. Thanks so much, Seth. Thank you. All right. Take care, everybody. 